Hi, I'm Malak Fuad, and welcome back to What I Did Next from ANT Media, a show where we explore life's pivot points. This episode is brought to you by Marrakez, building spaces for life. Marrakez is the leading mixed-use developer in Egypt, with an ever-growing portfolio of commercial and residential projects. Visit www.marrakez.net for more information. This episode marks the end of season one. Before we get started, I want to thank you for joining me for this inaugural season and to thank all of you who left such wonderful reviews in the different podcast players and on Instagram. Today's episode is slightly different in that there is no guest. Instead, my producer, Chirag Desai, is turning the tables on me and putting me in the hot seat. He'll be asking me about my own life journey and, of course, the season's two staple questions. Well, hello. Hi, Shirag. Welcome to Turning the Tables. <laughs> it's kind of strange. It's just weird that I'm not the one asking the questions. So let's let's talk about your, your dinner party. So I have a very eclectic mix. Okay, that's great. So my first choice would be Paul Simon, the singer okay, okay. and songwriter. I listen to him a lot um, as a solo artist and when he was with Simon and Garfunkel. Um, I love his South African period. I love his, uh, um, you know, his 60s period. I mean, there's a lot of really different types of output with him. Um, and I wonder what kind of a dinner party guest he'd be. I think he'd be quite interesting and a slightly off-center off kind of contributor. Right, right. That sounds fun. Okay. Then my all-time favorite artist, painter, is Picasso. Okay. And I would love to have him uh, at the table because, first of all, he lived at a really interesting period. And he um, became very famous, I guess really famous, with the Spanish Civil War, with his Guernica piece. Um, but he'd been living in France before that, and he was part of a very sort of avant-garde group of artists. And then, of course, he became very much more famous uh, after World War II and became the sort of, I guess, in a way, the first celebrity uh, painter. Yeah. Maybe one of the first painters as well to um, become a rich man in his lifetime, which is, at the time, I think was quite unusual. Correct, yeah. The recogn- getting recognition at, or, or during during their lifetimes, right? Yeah. Exactly. Um, and, uh, and he's ha- of course, he had a very interesting private life. So he went through mistresses uh, like water. Um, he had kids <laughs> all over the place. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, just a really interesting uh, life and a lifestyle. So I'd be really interested to meet him. And then my next guest would be someone very controversial in the Middle East. Um, somebody who uh, I think would generate vehement hate okay. from most people. But I find really interesting because I studied him. So I would want to have Henry Kissinger at the table. <laughs> um, but I I look at him more in a big picture way, um, in the sense that he was so strategic in formulating American foreign policy Correct. over the last 70 years. And he's still alive. He's nearly, nine, I think he's nearly 100. Yeah. And I mean, many from many accounts, it, it is continued to be said, right, that his the influence of or his influence on American foreign policy continues to this day, even if he's not. Um, active absolutely and and up to obama obama consulted him um you know for several things and i just find him really interesting because he's a person who was a refugee from germany to the u.s as a child he went back to germany as a u.s army um officer 
then went back to the States and graduated from Harvard and um, then went into public service. And um, and he's very controversial. And I, I kind of like that, actually. I like the fact that he's not, um, you know, he would make a very good dinner party guest because no good dinner party is complete without a good debate in my book. Yeah. Um, and for me, the best dinners are always the ones where you're there until two in the morning arguing like with someone or something. about, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 about some, the finer points of, you know, the Vietnam policy or whatever. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> so <laughs> he would be the perfect person for that. Yeah. And I think there's a, there's a little bit of a, of a difference between, you know, Harry, Henry Kissinger as a, as a, as a personality and, and his influence and well, what impact it might've had on um, the life in this part of the world versus him being a dinner party guest and being an interesting personality to understand how he thinks and, and how he views, yeah. uh, you know, events and, and things that happen. I think that that's the distinction, perhaps, that um, which you, you like to see on the table, at least. Uh, right, exactly. All right, who's next? The next choice is a very personal choice. So I would have my, uh, my aunt, okay. uh, my aunt Nadia, who is my mother's sister. She passed away in, 20, in 2003. Um, at the in the UN bombing in Iraq, so that was the first bombing of um, the post Iraq invasion or the post US invasion of Iraq. She was part of the UN mission there, um, and she was one of twenty twenty two people who passed away. She was the, um, the chief of staff of the head of mission there, okay. and she she was a lifelong UN career person. Um, and, um, she was, she's a huge role model for me and always has been. She was a very, very interesting woman. She was tons of fun. She was very irreverent. Um, she met all the heads of state, um, going through the UN halls. She'd treat Bill Clinton as she would, she, as she would treat the janitor at the UN. So everyone was equal in her books and everyone had some, something to contribute. And she was just, um, a larger than life character. And, you know, they always say the good die young. And in her case, that was definitely uh, the, the situation in my books. Plus, she could tell the best stories ever. So as a dinner party guest, she'd be probably, you know, in command of the entire table. A table that sits Henry Kissinger, which is interesting. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, she'd give him a run for his money. Absolutely. And he'd be charmed by her. Okay. And uh, she'd have him like, e- you know, eating out of her hand by the end of the dinner. <laughs> and, you know, she's hugely missed. Um, we've done a, um, a fund, an educational fund in her name at AUC in Cairo here. Right. So every year we have, um, a, a guest speaker from the world of current affairs that comes and gives a talk. It's a very important part of the AUC calendar. And it, for us, it's a very important way to keep her memory alive, trying to, um, to get young people excited about, uh, public service. And now, now a nice legacy as well. Yeah. Very much so. Very much so. So I'd also have her parents at the okay. table. So my maternal grandparents, right. I was extremely lucky that I, um, I, uh, had them in my life, um, until I was about 30. Um, and I was extremely close to them. My grandfather was a, what they call a bon vivant. So he would, you know, he'd grab everyone. He'd take them out for dinner. Uh, we'd have a fantastic time. And it didn't matter who was there. He would mm. just include everyone. Um, they they led a very interesting life, my grandparents. They were part of the, um, uh, the royal court in Egypt okay. prior to the 1952 revolution. 
So they were very involved. My, my grandfather was a chamberlain to the king. Okay. So he was privy to all the sort of the goings on at the palace. Um, they got married at the beginning of World War II and they worked throughout the 40s um, at the palace, both of them. My, mother, my grandmother was a lady-in-waiting to the queen. So they have this perspective and, you know, whenever we were, whenever I was around them, I'd always try and get stories out of them. And, and to their credit, they took those stories to the grave. Really? Okay. Yeah. They, they never divulged. They didn't gossip. They didn't want to talk about what happened there, but they knew everything. And then after the revolution of 52, um, my grandfather particularly was very, um, uh, avant-garde in his thinking. So he, uh, you know, having been of the old, Ancien Regime, if you like, uh, felt that there was not much of a future uh, for his children in the in the in Egypt at the time. So in the 60s, he encouraged all his children, his three children, to leave Egypt and make their lives abroad. And it was quite unusual for for a man of of my grandfather's generation to to say, you know what, you you guys need to leave. You you can't. Right. There's nothing here for you. And and even though they did that. Uh, we remained a very, very close-knit family, um, even though everyone was all over the place. Uh, and that's a testament to both my grandfather and my grandmother that they Absolutely, they yeah. nurtured that family dynamic. Well, so, so it's really interesting, right? Because uh, especially when you talk about your grandparents, because I think one of the things that I've been thinking about because we keep listening to the dinner party question from different guests. Yeah. Um, but if like the same thing, like if someone would ask me, like I would be like, can I go like two or three generations up in my family and pick someone from there? Someone yeah, that I could yeah. I don't have an overlap with because I couldn't, um, and just really understand a what that time was like, of course. But and hearing the different the different perspectives from different generations, I think is priceless. You know. Yeah, I think we uh, and I think this is something I think I've come around to in the last few years. But I think we we disproportionately discredit, which is a terrible use of phrase, but uh, are the previous generations in in kind of them like being like, oh, they were really traditional and we're modern now. And oh, they were X and we are Y now. Uh, they may not have driven cars and that's fine. Or they may not have had phones and that's fine. But they, a lot of them were very open in their thinking. They were massive thinkers in those, in those years. Um, you know, their ideas of philosophy and people and societies and, and stuff actually were, were very deep. It wasn't superficial at all. I also think that that's a, a, a sign of age, Shirag. You're showing yeah, probably. your age. No, no, probably. If you were in your early 20s or even earlier, you'd be like, no, no, I have nothing to learn yeah, of from course. them. No, no, 100%. You I'm, know, I'm, I'm with but you with on time, that, you kind yeah. of begin to appreciate <laughs> it, you know? Okay, <laughs> we're quickly going to move on from here before we start going to my age, aren't we? Um, I have a quick follow-up before we move on, though. I, I'm curious. Um, when you were building your list today, um, how much of, not so much the guests themselves, but the way they, cons- they put their tables together, like, did that factor in when you were thinking about, like, oh, yeah, like, I should think about the music and I should think about the light and the intensity? The inter- Yeah, that's a really great question. Actually, what surprised me when we had originally formulated the question when we were beginning season one, was that the, what, what the guests were hung up about was the fact that they, the guests didn't match each other. They had to make, it, they had to make a good dinner table. Exactly. Yeah. When I was framing the, the original question, I just thought, who do I want to talk to? I wasn't thinking, oh, well, right. so-and-so like so-and-so, like you would in a normal dinner party. Right. Um, and so I found that 
a couple of the people were a bit preoccupied with that. But on the whole, um, I, you know, for me, and I think for most of the guests on this on the show, they just put a list of people they wanted to meet, or a lot of them put family members as well, Shirag, if you're a member. Yeah. So that, that did influence me, actually. The Steve Jobs speech, which is something that you've, you've referenced many times, uh, talks about connecting the dots and that, that became a baseline for you. You know, someone that, that is very interested in talking to people, uh, I'm talking about myself here as well, but I know that's <laughs> that applies to you too. Um, it's very interesting to kind of like pick out these certain things as opposed to just, you know, just say like, okay, start here, where were you born and what yeah. did you do next, you know? I think uh, clearly, I mean, uh, we'll we'll go into this in a bit, but I've had some major pivots in my life. And I think that that obviously subconsciously played a, a big part in this. The Steve Jobs speech I had listened to many, many years ago, and I absolutely adored it. And it did remain with me. And it made me think, yes, you know, one thing does lead to another, whether you are conscious of it or not. Right. So uh, I think it was a, um, a combination of things just coming together. Um, I think we were also, I was very lucky as well in that, um, that this process for this particular podcast started last August. Right. That's when we began fleshing this out as an idea. And so we had, I mean, I, I had the luxury or I gave myself the luxury of time. You and I were back and forth a lot from August all the way through to November, really right. like devising what this should be and you and obviously you have a lot of experience in doing this and you asked some very important questions and you know we went through a a a process of elimination and uh drilling down on certain ideas and you know it was a really useful way to to create this so let's 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 talk about your pivot points let's let's start with the first one so i'm somebody who um i'm fully egyptian but i've only been living in egypt for the last 19 years. Um, I was born in the States and I then uh, lived in Saudi Arabia. So um, my first pivot came at the age of 12 when I went to boarding school and I moved to England. And it was actually one of the best things that could have ever happened to me because at the time, of course, I was miserable. I spent three months, you know, crying myself to sleep. But, in right. you know, Right after that, I made my best friends. And it was extremely formative because uh, not only was the, the concept of boarding school, um, it suited me. It's not for everybody, but yeah. it suited me and it suited my character. I think the, that, that those years between 12 and 17 are, um, you're like a sponge, you know, you're, 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 you take yeah, in everything around you. Absolutely. Very formative. So that was a major, major pivot for me. Um, and I, you know, I'd always been coming back and forth to Egypt all my life because I had a lot of family here. Um, and after university, so during university, I did a lot of internships. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I, I interned at the UN in New York uh, for two two summers, and then I also interned at Condé Nast, which is the the holding company for a lot of the big glossy magazines like Vogue and Vanity Fair and so and on. Condé Nast Traveler. And exactly. And I loved that world. I, I liked I liked journalism. Um, but I realized that for me, I wanted to do something a bit more serious in terms of the content. After university, um, I decided to come to Egypt almost like a gap year uh, and see what living here would be like. And so I moved here and I worked at the Ahram newspaper. And I loved the job, but unfortunately, I didn't like living in Cairo at all. So I went back to the UK and uh, eventually found work as a journalist there. 
Um, and then I found myself becoming um, a little bit pigeonholed into the sort of fluffy writing features that were of not real interest. And I was working at the time at the Daily Mail newspaper, okay. which is extremely cutthroat, um, but not at all the kind of work I wanted to do. Uh, I actually left journalism completely and worked for a, um, a media consulting company that was an American company. Right. And at the time, we did a lot of work with um, the internet industry, which was just kind of booming at the booming, time. Yeah, yeah. This is like 99. Right, right, right. So that was kind of fun. But then uh, the the industry went bust, right? So there was yep. a crash, the dot-com the dot crash, and the U.S. company closed down our office because uh, we were the international arm right, of it. Right, that, that, that goes first, yeah. And, I, and here again is my next major pivot. I found myself at a loss. What should I do? Um, and I decided I would take a, a, an extended break And I decided, okay, I'm going to go to Cairo. And I remember very clearly September 11 was a turning point because I remember thinking the whole world is going to change now. And there's going to be a, a, a reconfiguration and a recalibration of, of how we are perceived. And yet I'm an American citizen having grown up in the UK, but I still felt that there was this shift that was going to happen. Huh? And I, and I made the decision that I, even though it was a subconscious thing, it, I had a return ticket in my drawer and it, the date on the ticket was 20th of January, 2002. Yeah. Two. And I found the ticket the following summer, which, which now, now you know me a little bit, Shirag, I'm a very organized person. Right. And I, I don't make these kind of mistakes. <laughs> right. The ticket would not have just been sitting there. I, I can That's completely just, see yeah, that. You know, that's yeah. just. Exactly. Yeah, That's totally. just, that doesn't happen in my book, you know, <laughs> and I just completely forgot about it. So, so there you have it. So I guess it was meant to be. You know, you mentioned initially the first time when you came to Cairo and you tried to work there and you didn't enjoy the environment and you didn't right. really enjoy it. What, what changed this time? I think, I think, first of all, I had a lot of friends in, the, in Cairo at the time. Right, um, I got a job fairly quickly yeah. that I was enjoying. Okay. And he'll be very glad to hear this. I met my husband. So... <laughs> okay. <laughs> who you have met as well. Right. So he'll be very happy to hear that he was very part of the, very much part of that pivot. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, that makes sense. And I know I did it too with my life is I, I you discredit the ability of the social circle and that includes relationships and, 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 and family and everything else. But the more people that I, I tend to see, you know, actually tend to have that pull and tend to have those ties. And in fact, those ties make or break where they live eventually. I think, you know, people like you and me, you've got family in India, you know, you're always going to have a pull to where you're originally from. And I, and I think yeah, that's I think a, so. you know, that's a good thing. You know, I mean, it, it adds layers to your character, you know? Um, so now I'm based in Egypt. I've been here 19 years. So you never left after that, after that pivot, basically. No, I never right. left. I'm not going to lie. It hasn't all been hunky-dory. Of course. Um, there have been a lot of highs and a lot of lows. Um, but it's home now, you know, my parents are now here as well. Okay. Um, I have a family, um, you know, this is it. The revolution was a major, major factor though, in, in changing, um, my kind of perspective on the country. Uh, but that's another conversation. I'm sure we could do an entire, well, a couple of episodes probably. Yeah, we could do a show on that. So my next pivot um, is a not a nice pivot. So I had I had I have two beautiful boys. 
when the second one was born, I was um, seven weeks later, I was diagnosed with cancer. It's obviously a while ago now. It's 14 years and I'm in remission and I'm fine. But, um, you know, I was 34 at the time. And, you know, obviously I, I was sick while I was pregnant and I didn't realize. Right. Um, and it's an extremely strange thing for a, a healthy pregnant woman to suddenly uh, have a baby and then be yeah. diagnosed seven weeks later. I had course, uh, yeah. Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, and I was lucky that I had the baby in the UK and I then went into a six month, uh, chemotherapy course. And, you know, I was lucky enough that the entire family moved with me and, uh, you know, but it was one of, it probably was the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. And I don't think anything else after this will ever feel as challenging or as hard. Yeah, and I was going to say, actually, like you're probably one of those massive pivot points in any anyone's life. And then especially in a mother's life, I think, you know, the euphoria of having, uh, you know, having a child like is not something you could even look like even consider or, or enjoy or experience really well. Right. If that was the case. It was hard. I mean, it was very difficult. And um, and luckily, um, my son Taymour is probably the most gregarious and outgoing and uh, happy boy. But, you know, and then following from that, so, you know, after something like that, you kind of, you know, come back to what you think is normal life and everyone kind of just expects you to get on with things and, oh, well, you're back now, you're fine now. Okay, let's go back to normal. And mm. actually, no, there's no such like thing that. as yeah. back to normal. It changes you in such fundamental ways that... Uh, you're really never the same. You know, I was extremely carefree beforehand. Um, and now I'm, you know, I, be, I then became very fearful about lots of things. Um, you know, I was, I worried about the children uh, incessantly and right. uh, I feared for them and all of that kind of thing. Of course, now with time that recedes, um, becomes less magnified. But, uh, but there were a couple of years where, you know, that was that was hard. It was difficult. I mean, you mentioned um, now you feel with time it's it's receded. Do you feel like it's um, is that is that just um, you're getting better at dealing with it, or is it just perspective has changed how you view the same things? I think it's both. When I got back to Cairo after my treatment, I went to see a therapist because uh, there was no one around me who could understand it, yeah. and I didn't want to burden my husband or my parents. They'd been through enough with me. Um, and it, you know, it wasn't their department. I needed to see a professional. Right. Um, and she was amazing and she helped me through a lot. And then it all came tumbling down again when the revolution hit. Right. Because, you know, you, you, you sort of go along, you coast along and you think you're fine. And then it just takes one hair trigger thing to, to knock you off center again. I mean, and this that wasn't a, yeah, this wasn't a hair trigger as well, right? It was a massive yeah. event. Yeah. It was a massive disruption to our life. You know, I, I'm always amazed when I when I look back on all, all these things, you know, I, I feel sometimes like a like a 90 year old woman who's had all these experiences condensed into literally the space of five years. And uh, it's when I think of it in that way, um, I feel very old. But then I also think, you know what, you, you, the, the mind is so resilient and and we forget and, you know, you forget pain and you just get on with it. You know, you don't. You can't let it get to you because if you do, you'll never get out of bed in the morning. You, as a mother to those two young boys, 
That was never an option. Yeah, you have to be present, right? You cannot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So there you are. Wow, that's it. That's, that's, we're getting to really unpack <laughs> That's a biggie. Today. Yeah, that's a big one. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a big one. Since then, uh, in my mind, you almost look at sort of two major achievements, the Masters and now launching all of this. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But, you know, how, how much do you feel like that path was kind of getting set in, in, you know, as you were coming out of that? I think what ended up happening was I actually tried to force things and I wasn't ready for them at a much earlier phase. So uh, I was juggling at one point the babies, uh, my recovery, and I thought it would be a good idea to open my own consultancy firm. <laughs> because <laughs> because why, why wouldn't you? Yeah, why wouldn't you? Yeah, exactly. At the time, I thought I felt it was important because I felt I needed something for myself. But looking back, I think it was too soon. And then... I had this hiatus of a, of a year or so, and I remember my husband saying to me, if you don't do something, I mean, you can't just sit around. You're going to go nuts and you're going to drive me nuts. Right. <laughs> so I thought, okay, he's right. I do have to do something. And I wasn't quite sure yet what direction I wanted to go in. Um, and so I turned my, my, my thinking towards uh, going back to college. And so I enrolled at AUC and I did a master's in global affairs and I did it part time. So it took me three and a half years, but it was amazing. It was a great experience. And the idea of going twice a week in the evenings to class, um, meeting professors, meeting students, uh, something that was just for me. Uh, that I and timing wise I could control it as you mentioned in a way it kind of reactivated you almost exactly uh, and, and put you back in the places you wanted to be exactly yeah. it did very much so and then and then um, my last few months uh, of the degree I uh, actually I had wanted to start a podcast earlier and it had always been in my it had been in my mind for a while while I was doing my studies but I knew I couldn't juggle both. Wait, when did you complete your master's? Was it in 2020, right? And 2020, started, yeah. You started in 2017, basically. Exactly. Roughly. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something that's really like, almost like a, like a very interesting thing, right? Because it, three of your pivot years are 2001, 2007, and 2017. Okay. Yeah. And in 2001 was when I left the UAE for the first time when I went to the US. Yeah. In 2007... Against my will, I came back to Dubai. So that's one of my <laughs> pivot points, by the way. And 2017 is when I started all this. That's so funny, Shirag. Yeah, it's literally the same year. It's, yeah. We married each other, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, rather, we were, going to, we were going through shifts at the yeah, same time, yeah. which I think is just... Uh, because That's interesting. Yeah, when you mentioned the second year, I was kind of like, okay, that's a little bit of a coincidence. We're going to move on. Yeah. <laughs> and then that's why I clarified when, when you said like, yeah, I was kind of like, wait, so three years ago was 2017, 2017. That's is so when funny. I, when I made the, the really like the, the actual move to be like, no, that's it. I'm going to start a podcast company, even if it's going to take a little while. That is funny. Uh, how about that? We'll have to coordinate our next pivots for sure, <laughs> you and I. Let's, let's do it. Yeah. Let's, this time let's do yeah. it with a little bit of planning, right? Um, yeah, exactly. Okay, So let's, let's get into the other question, which is, um, of course, we want to talk about sort of the inspirational sort of um, books and movies, but I want to add a twist to that, which is podcasts, because I think yeah. we, should, we should find out what kind of podcasts you like. And maybe, of course, um, I, have a, I have an inkling of what the movie might be, and I think listeners may also, but let's ask you about the movie first. Actually, really? You have an inkling? Uh, I have three movies. Can I talk okay. about three movies? I was going to say like, of course you can. And then I'm like, well, it's your show. Of course you can do whatever you want. <laughs> 
So actually, one of my films and one of my books is the same. Okay. So it's Age of Innocence by Edith Wharton. She's an American, was an American writer who wrote in the early 1900s. Um, and it was turned into a film with Daniel Day-Lewis, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Winona Ryder. But the most amazing thing for me about the, the film, the book is incredible, she writes beautifully, but the film was directed by someone who is better known for gangster flicks. So it was directed by Martin Scorsese. Yeah, was gonna, yeah, yeah. And apparently um, he, he did it because he wanted his father to know that he could direct a thing of beauty as opposed to a thing of violence. <laughs> wow, okay. That's really interesting. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. and, and he, he did it so wonderfully uh, that you'd never guess that it was him if you had only ever seen his other work before. Correct, of course, yeah. And then um, I think the one you're thinking of is The Godfather. Absolutely. Because I've mentioned it in many interviews. Exactly. <laughs> so the trilogy, I like all three. And I know that yep. the third one gets panned a lot, but I, I do like all three. And so that's Francis Ford Coppola who directed that. My third film, if you allow me, is uh, the, the first film by his daughter, okay. Sophia, yeah. which is Lost in Translation. Um, that is, for me, one of my all-time favorites. And has now made me want to go to Japan. I, I'm dying to visit Japan. And it's uh, primarily because, because of that of film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just so um, ethereal and so um, of another time and space almost. So those are my movies. But I also, I would like to mention a TV show, which for people who know me is, is almost more important than these, which is The West Wing. Oh, really? So which, I'm almost, I'm almost oh, yeah. not surprised now, but you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So The West Wing, I watched it religiously when it came out. Yeah. Are you? It, it, it was my COVID watch. Yeah, well, I actually rewatched it last year. It was, I, uh, honestly, to watch that show in 2020 was uh, its own kind of eye-opener for me. Aaron Sorkin can go up and down, but I think the way he writes dialogue is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, like, there's no yeah, I love question, him. right? So for me, even even the newsroom, yeah, um, I love the newsroom. Kind of went in a lot of different directions eventually, and it's fine. But that first season and the first few episodes, because I know he would have written the dialogue for most of those. Yeah, all the all the walking and talking, walking and talking style. He's brilliant, and uh, you see it. You see his imprint all over it, and the way it's written. And but it, but it's of course it goes more than that. It's all about it's all the relationships, it's all the diplomacy, it's all of it. Which yeah, you know, almost like it's kind of you know one of those history repeat itself kind of feelings when you when you watch it. And then when I was watching in 2020, that was my realization. That the funny thing is because I read a lot of biographies by um, ex-Obama staffers yeah, and a lot of them modeled themselves on the West Wing characters, the characters of the West Wing. Okay. <laughs> which is very disturbing is, when you think which about is, it which is all this is that what was it is that art art imitates life life imitates exactly. art kind of thing right? exactly oh, exactly and uh, yeah, that is so, not a, that is so not Jed a Bartlett <laughs> is the president we all want you know yeah I think you know yeah I think I think uh, it's a great show We've we've done the movie, the TV. We've hit one book. Let's 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 go further. I have another fiction book, but it's very similar to the other one, which is uh, Henry James' Portrait right. of a Lady. It's a similar genre, and yeah. then my two nonfiction books. So one is um, called Cairo City Victorious by Max Rodenbeck, and this is a fantastic history of Cairo. Um, and I think I've read it maybe three or four times um, over the years. My other uh, book is actually um, a book very few people would know. Um, it's called Personal History. Okay. And it's by a woman called Catherine Graham. It's, a bio it's an autobiography. And she is um, 
she was the publisher, the owner and publisher of the Washington Post. Her father was the owner. And when her father died, her husband took over the owner, the, he became publisher. And then her father, her husband committed suicide and she took the reins of the publication. Right. Okay. And she was a very uh, traditional housewifey sort of person. Um, she was, you know, more comfortable being the hostess at large dinners and so on. And she became the publisher at a time where the newspaper was very much in the news itself. So the first major thing was the Pentagon Papers, which was a really big, big right. deal at the time. Yeah. And then, of course, they're the newspaper that broke the Watergate scandal. And it was on her watch that that happened. Yeah. And her story is just amazing because she obviously talks about these really important points in history or, or at least history of the U.S. And uh, so, yeah, that's a book I've read a couple of times and it's it's really stayed with me. Wow, that's that was an interesting choice. I like that. Yeah. It's worth picking up if you can find it. Right. No, definitely will. Um, I think we have music left. So here, Shirag, I mean, I, I don't have like a favorite and I don't think anyone can pick a favorite. Even our guests never were oh, able not, to no, pick you one. Know, you can't say that now because now you're giving all the guests, the future guests a free pass. To be like, well, <laughs> if you couldn't pick a favorite, <laughs> why are you making me pick I, one? <laughs> I basically made a list of all the music I like. And I, you know, I listen to music depending on my mood. You know, it depends. So yeah, yeah. Um, I've written down here, I like Prince. I like the Eagles. I like George Michael. I like Frank Sinatra. Eric Clapton, Fleetwood Mac, In Excess, if you remember them, um, Simon and Garfunkel, Bob Marley, Rolling Stones. I mean, you know, I like I like um, artists that where there are proper lyrics, where there's a story, where you know. I was gonna say, like, I feel like that's a little bit of shade against like the more recent musicians, but we'll, yeah, I mean, we, honestly, we won't get into yeah, that. I'm throwing shade on it. <laughs> I, I mean, I will admit to you, I am. And if my son can hear me now, he'd flip because all we hear from his room is like heavy duty rap. But you know, fair enough. My musical taste has sort of not evolved. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had. Uh, I think this was with with uh, Ali Ali, right? Omar Samra. Was it Omar Samra? Maybe okay. Where he said like, you know, my my musical choices are. are stuck in the 90s and exactly well mine 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 like started in the 70s and moved still forward earlier yeah but, but yeah, still, yeah they yeah, don't yeah. they don't go past the 90s mine so yeah <laughs> Okay, so let's talk about podcasts. I mean, uh, I, I want to kind of continue on from this question, which is like, you know, do you have maybe a couple of podcasts or some favorites that, that you're enjoying listening to? Sure. So firstly, I'm a, I'm a news junkie. So I, I read, I consume a lot of news and I'm always like looking at different newspapers online and so on. So I started off by um, uh, listening to podcasts that were affiliated with newspapers. Okay. Um, and I still do to a large extent. So I listen to The Guardian. I listen to... Uh, uh, the Times has a good one. Obviously, the New York Times as well. Yeah. Um, and then I, I love. Um, uh, there's a there's a company called Intelligence Squared. They run debates, and they do them. They used to do them in person in the UK before the pandemic, and they also have one uh, a US version. Then there's one called Talking Politics, which yeah. is done in affiliation with the London Review of Books. It's uh, hosted by a guy called David Runciman, who's a professor at Oxford. Uh, or Cambridge, I forget which one. And he's absolutely brilliant. These are, you know, it, podcasts for me are always about where am I listening to it? His podcasts I'll listen to if I'm going for a long walk, for example. Then um, I love history. So I listen to a lot of history uh, podcasts. There's a, a couple in the BBC um, group. So there's one called In Our Time. And then there is uh, History Hits. There's a few of them. 
Um, my only concern with the, 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 the history podcasts that I've found, they're very Western centric. Yes. Um, I like the Axe Files. We spoke about this show, I remember in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. He's an ex, um, he was the campaign manager for Obama, I think, in the first, right. first uh, campaign. campaign. Yeah. And then he worked at the White House with him. And then I like the New Yorker uh, podcasts. Um, but I find also they're a little bit, um, they're almost becoming a bit of a caricature of what a, le a left liberal should be talking about, you know, and it's, <laughs> it's almost, you can almost predict what they're going to say. You're, you know? uh, you've literally given us the quote of the episode, I think there, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I, I like to, I like to keep my, um, I'm, I'm equal opportunities with my political views. So I do listen to the right wing and I listen to the left wing. So I don't really tend to go for a political point of view. I tend to go for the story that's being right. told. Yeah. Um, and I kind of like it when I listen to something that I don't agree with. No, I think it's uh, I think it's healthy, and I think we are we are finding our uh, at least a lot of the conversations we're having are, are tend to be very siloed ultimately. Or yeah, but you know, Shirag, one of my new pet peeves that has been I've been reading so much about, and I've been mentioning it in a few of our episodes with the guests, is this concept of cancel culture, where you know if you don't agree with what I say, then I'm just going to eliminate gonna, you from my any discussion. And I just find, you know, it's becoming more and more um, prevalent. Uh, in the US, in the UK, it's, it's just and it's I think taking it's just over. An, it's just become an easy way out. I think people just... Yeah. yeah. And more so after last year, people feel like they don't have the bandwidth for anything. And then that, it, unfortunately, is being translated to, now I don't have the bandwidth to actually debate you somehow. And, and I understand where that comes from as a sentiment, but I think it's extremely unhealthy. I worry for my children's generation as well about that. Yeah. You know, they're, yeah. they're going to go to college. My, my, my eldest is going to college in a couple of years. And he's going to get to college and he's going to be confronted by people who just don't know how to communicate with each other. Correct. And, you know, they're like, you know, don't talk to me about that. I will not discuss that with you. Or Correct. this whole yeah, snowflake yeah. generation thing is, is really freaky. Uh, so I want to kind of uh, close out, like just talking a little bit about sort of what you're, you know, what you're doing next. Uh, let's talk a little bit about ANT Media and kind of what, what you've been thinking about and, and, and what, you're, what you're thinking towards. So you mentioned ANT Media. So ANT Media is sort of like my uh, overall holding uh, or umbrella company, whereby I'm hoping to uh, launch other podcasts, as you know, uh, of different varieties, um, different subjects. Um, but the one thing they all have in common uh, is that they would be podcasts that are geared to Middle Easterners or people in the region. So that's the ethos running through the entire um, concept. The different podcasts that I'm thinking of launching, I don't really want to go into right now uh, because I'm still working on yeah, we're still uh, working their directions. Yeah. Exactly. But uh, they're very different to the current one. I think for now, that's, you know, that's pretty much uh, what I'd, all I'll say. And just sort of say, watch the space or, or keep listening kind of thing, you know? I, I think one of the ideas, and I know it drives you too, is sort of when you're talking about the Middle East and stuff, is bringing that perspective to the table, uh, providing that insight, shining that light on, on things that are happening here that are not just um, politically relevant, but just generally relevant society-wise and otherwise, right? I mean, when you look at what season one of what I did next was, yes, it was in some ways a way to establish... Um, you know, what you wanted to do and, and, and starting a podcast. And that's why we said, we'll pick up one, we'll kind of run through it through the season and see where we go from there. Uh, and I think to some degree, now that we are kind of sitting back and, and being able to look back at the season, that focus, uh, I think, has played a part in, in its reception, right? 
Um, of course, we had incredible guests who shared incredible aspects about their lives that some of which that, you know, they haven't openly shared elsewhere. In some cases, they didn't get into that kind of detail or whatever be the, the reason, but I think they're all incredible people, of course. Uh, but I think that plays a part, and I think that that is sort of almost a guiding mission. Uh, I know it is for me, but I, I think as well as well for you. For me, I think what I did next works primarily because I've been able to select uh, guests who have a really interesting story. At the end of the day, it's about the story. Um, it's it's almost irrelevant what they do, uh, what their profession is. It's almost irrelevant. Uh, it's how they communicate their story and and the authenticity of it. Because I think you can feel immediately when someone is um, has said their story many times and has almost yep. got a, like a script yep. uh, going, um, you know, or versus the type or versus the guest who is really thinking about each question and giving you a, a really uh, honest answer. And and I think we've been very lucky with our guests that, um, you know, they've really been very upfront and very uh, open about their lives. And and that's what makes, a, you know, a, an interesting story. As a listener, that's what I want to hear. Yeah, and I think, I mean, to some extent, we have to also, it's also, you know, your credit as an interviewer as well, right? I think there's little doubt in my mind, at least, in that, like all of those experiences, all of your pivot points kind of coming together, your own personal interest, of course, as you mentioned, I mean, in terms of um, journalism and, 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 and everything else around it, uh, presenting, uh, you know, your perspective on the table. And I, 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 you know, there's, there's been many episodes where that's happened, right? Where you've brought in or you've added a perspective that, um, and I, I think the guests are able to also relate to that. So they feel comfortable doing that. And it's a major part of it, by I, the way. I think I mean, so. It absolutely is. Yeah. Sure. I mean, I think the challenges I've faced in my life have made me much more empathetic to to the nuances in people's lives, you know, and, and that's definitely, that plays a part. Uh, I don't know if I'd have been able to do this podcast, you know, 15 years ago. Uh, you know, there are levels of experience now that, that definitely play a role in, in, in how I interview and, and, and what I do. You know, I, I used to do interviews when I was working on one of the magazines in London, but I was young and I was, you know, inexperienced and... Um, and it was uh, it was fun, but it you know it could have been a lot more exciting. It was just very formulaic, uh, but that was that was also part of the that was the style they wanted at the time. But you know, definitely being older and and having had challenges um, allows me to to maybe ask the question that is almost going unasked. You know, like the the hidden question or read between the lines a little bit maybe. Yeah, I think the perspective definitely changes that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I think this is a this is a great point to end because it ties us back to the Steve Jobs interview, right? And and sort of talking about <laughs> connecting the dots backwards. You know, there was a point where you know when you were talking about what you were doing now in the masters and everything else, and you said, you know, I tried to force myself to start a consulting firm and whatever, and you were like, it didn't work for me. Um, it wasn't the right time and you're able to say that today but again it's always you know in, in hindsight you can look back and connect the dots which is exactly what the point of that speech was and so you know don't worry about them today start moving in the direction I think that that's kind of a nice little <laughs> ribbon that we can tie yeah no you're um, right you know uh, no no in, definitely think, yeah yeah so I think uh, you know we want to say a big big thank you to to every single person that's listening and has listened to every episode of what I did next um, this entire season and all the support, the reviews. Um, it's, and it's honestly, it has been fantastic. I mean, it's, it's been great to be at the receiving end of 
all that and we're very excited for season two i think so definitely no i'm 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 also i was um not sure about doing this little interview uh whether that would be a great idea but but um i uh I deferred to your better knowledge on this, um, but it was good. I'm, I'm happy okay. we did it. It's interesting. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, uh, because no one knew who I was going into this um, at the beginning of the season. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I guess as with each episode, maybe people get to know me a little bit more, but now, you know, they've got the full picture. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> In closing, I just want to let you know that a great season two is already in the works. There's an amazing lineup of guests coming your way in a couple of months' time. I'm delighted that I'll be welcoming people from across the Middle East as well as across a variety of industries and sectors. Each person has an incredible story and each one shows us how pivots and shifts in their lives have allowed them to connect the dots. While we're on hiatus, please stay tuned to our Instagram page where you'll get bonus material and funny outtakes from season one and news on what's coming next. Thank you for joining us on this episode of What I Did Next, brought to you by ANT Media with me, Malak Fouad, and co-produced by Shirag Desai. I look forward to welcoming you back in a couple of months' time.